Let there be light. There we go. All right. <laughs> hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to New Life. Uh, if this is your very first time to be with us today, we are so glad that you're here, and I hope it's that your first time turns into a second, your second turns into a third, uh, but man, just welcome whatever brought you here today, or if you're watching us online, we're just so grateful that you're joining us wherever you are in the world, and it's just great to be here together, and what did you think about that worship today? That was something, wasn't it? I don't know. When you add trumpets and brass instruments to anything you're doing, I think it just gets better, I guess. It just, it's, just, it's a nice element. I just think they did a great job uh, coming alongside helping us worship today and enjoy this Christmas season. But hey, I want to let you know before we get into the Word today, out in the atrium, there is a photo op area uh, that we set up. And you just thought you were going to get through the Christmas season at New Life without a photo opportunity. No, no, no. We have a photo opportunity for you. And if you guys want, what that's for out there says uh, the cast of Christmas and... Um, and we'd love for you to, uh, or Merry Christmas New Life, we'd love for you to uh, take your picture out there. We'd love for you to share that online, tag the church, whatever you want to do with it, it's fine with us. But uh, that's for you. Grab a snapshot with your family, and that's why we set that up. Let me ask you something. Um, all of us in here probably have some Christmas traditions, don't we? Okay, whether you, you stay them or not, every family, everybody has some kind of tradition out there. Whether that tradition be perhaps... Oh, you know, the whole family getting together on one day during December, and you go out for dinner, and then you go look at Christmas lights. You know, that could be a family tradition. It may be that as a family, you get together, and we turn on Christmas music, we drink hot chocolate, and we decorate the tree together. That's what we do as a family. It may be getting together with extended family. It may be putting the nativity up and reading the Christmas story from Luke 2 together. Every, every family has as a tradition, maybe it's you know, Christmas caroling. Did anybody do that anymore? You got in your neighborhood and you sing and, or go to the nursing homes or whatever and you sing to the residents. Maybe that's your tradition. Um, my wife growing up, so they had a tradition um, ever since she was a little girl all the way up until she married me um, that the family would get together on Christmas, or excuse me, on Christmas Eve and be her and her parents and her siblings and they would share a, a Christmas dinner together and it was the same dinner every Christmas Eve. And that dinner was chicken Kiev, white rice, green bean casserole, croissant rolls, and um, some kind of salad. Isn't that what everybody eats on Christmas? Chicken Kiev? She, t she told me that one time. She goes, yeah, we have chicken Kiev every Christmas. It's our family tradition. But chicken Kiev? First of all, I said, what's that? And secondly... And then when I married in the family and they brought me into this tradition, um, I was like, you guys are on to something with this chicken Kiev stuff. But then they would, then after dinner, her family, Christmas Eve, they would all um, um, open presents. They were a Christmas Eve open presents family. So all the children here are like, mom, dad, got an idea, Christmas Eve. And then Christmas morning, that's when they did stockings. Stockings was a big deal in her family, but that's all they did on, Sunday, on Christmas morning. And then, then they would gather together with aunts, uncles, grandma, grandpa, every cousins, and they all get together at somebody's house for the big Christmas dinner. And that was their Christmas tradition. Man, traditions are a big deal. I mean, I know, whether you, you're probably thinking like, what are our family traditions? I promise you that you, you have some. One of my favorite Christmas tradition stories that I ever heard about um, is actually absolutely a true story, what I'm about to tell you. And it started in 1964 with a guy by the name of, of Larry Knuckle and his brother-in-law, Roy. And here's how this tradition started. Um, Larry's mother gave him a pair of moleskin pants 
um, one year for Christmas, and he was living in Minnesota, and the pants would get real stiff and cold, and they were uncomfortable to wear. He didn't like them, is what I'm trying to say. So he re-gifted, because we do that sometimes, don't we? He re-gifted those pants to his brother-in-law, Roy, the next Christmas. Well, guess what? Roy didn't want them either. He didn't like them at all. So the following Christmas, Roy re-gifts them back to Larry, only this time he stuffs the pants inside of a pipe, and he seals it, and he says, Merry Christmas. So he gave the pants back, and the tradition was on. And for 25 years, Larry and Roy passed every Christmas these pants back to one another, and every year, the way that they passed it got tougher and tougher to open. All right, let me, let me give you an example. One year, um, Larry sent to Roy the pants, and he had them sent to him in a 600-pound safe that was welded shut, all right? <laughs> so Roy responded by sending uh, Larry the pants back in a three-foot crunched 1974 Gremlin car. Crunched the car, okay? <laughs> With a note that said, the pants are in the glove box. Merry Christmas, all right? <laughs> And then a few years later, um, Roy um, um, sent uh, the pants one year in an eight-foot tire that he had filled with 6,000 pounds of concrete. And a note was attached, have a good year. All right, all right, so that's what it said. Well, this went on for years, and it finally came to an end. In fact, there was an article written about it in the New York Times uh, when this tradition came to an end. The only rule they had was you couldn't destroy or damage the pants. You had to figure out how to do it without damaging them. And uh, the year it finally came to an end, one of the, one of the, the either Larry or Roy, I can't remember now, they were trying to encase the pants in several thousand pounds of molten glass. But there was something went wrong in the process, and the, and the molten glass got on the pants and turned them to ashes right away, and the, the tradition came to an end. Let me tell you, friends, I would never find myself in a Christmas tradition like that. I would be so annoyed by the whole thing, I would just throw it away. But anyway, traditions, where do they come from? Why do we do what we do every Christmas? I mean, why do we really hang up lights? Why do we set up a Christmas tree? Why do we open presents? Why do we do stockings? Why, why do we drink eggnog? Why do we do this? Why do we, my, my guess would be that um, even though there is a backstory to every tradition I just listed, most of us probably don't know it. Most of us just do it because it's fun. It's just what we do. It's the Christmas season, and it, and it feels good. You know, Christmas is celebrated all around the world, and if you just spend a few minutes Googling this, you will see hundreds of Christmas traditions all around the world don't make a lick of sense to any of us, but in their cultures, it's what they do. But I would guess that they probably don't even know the why behind all that they do at Christmas time. But you know, I do wanna say this as we get into this today. There is a most definite why, ultimately, for this season. And the why for it, you don't have to look any further than the angel's announcement to a group of shepherds in Luke chapter two. All the why for why we do anything can be found in just a few short verses announced by angels. And they are perhaps some of the most famous, most well-known verses about the coming of Jesus anywhere you're gonna find in the Bible. And even if you uh, haven't spent much time in church before or you've never read the Bible, I promise you that when I read this verse to you, there's gonna be language in here. You're gonna go, oh yes, I know something about that. It's that familiar. 
It's found in Luke chapter two, verse 10. And an angel said this to some shepherds. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You don't have to look any further than Luke 2 and the announcement of the angels to find out why we do any of the things that we do. What an incredible couple of verses. And then, then right after that, this one angel that night was joined by lots and lots of angels, and they had more to say. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rest. Yeah, you know what? We have a lot of traditions, don't we? A lot of them are fun. A lot of them are loved, whether we know what they're about or not. But I'm gonna tell you the true why behind anything that we do. If you wanna know what it is, look no further than the angel's announcements that night. The Messiah has been born. The, the, the Savior is here. Glory to God in the highest. And what else did the angels say? Very key detail to understanding why Jesus came. They said what? Peace on earth. Did you see it? Peace on earth. We sing about it all the time. Peace on earth. And I'm telling you, that sounds really nice, doesn't it? Peace on earth. I wouldn't mind a little bit more peace on this earth, wouldn't you? I wouldn't mind it at all. Especially during this season, which I think we could all agree, we could probably share our own stories, that December can be the least peaceful month of the year, all right? Isn't that true? There's all kinds of things that stress us out this season. Not just what's going on the world stage. I mean, you look around, there's global conflicts all around us, but I mean, just even, even our own homes, I mean, even our own country, inflation is on the rise. I mean, what doesn't cost more today than it did a year ago? It'd be stressful. You know how much Diet Coke costs right now? Holy cow, I had to go generic. And that's saying something. Stress. Man, I'd love a little bit more peace. Political tension seems like it's at its worst. Family drama. Anybody experiencing some family drama that just gets exasperated every holiday? Man, peace. Peace on earth sounds nice. But I have to ask this question. That when the angels came that night and they announced peace on earth, that the Messiah is gonna bring this kind of peace and it's gonna be a blessing to all mankind, what exactly is the peace that the angels were announcing that Jesus was going to bring? Are they announcing to the world, or should we understand this, that, that they're talking about when Jesus comes that he is gonna el eliminate all conflict around the world? Is, is that what they were, is that the peace they're talking about that's coming to earth? You know what the angels were announcing that night about the Messiah and the Savior and this peace on earth that he's gonna bring? That had already been prophesied hundreds of years earlier. In fact, there are many prophecies about the coming of Jesus. Some are really well known. We looked at one last week from Micah 5.2, very well known prophecy about Jesus. I wanna show you another one, very well known. What the angels were announcing had already been prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. It's in Isaiah 9.6. This will also, whether you're familiar with the Bible or not, should sound fairly familiar to everybody. Isaiah said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. We've heard these words before, haven't we, somewhere? And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and then he says this, 
the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And then he says a little bit more about peace. Isaiah says, verse seven, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this incredible prophecy from Isaiah is calling the one to come, who we would later know as Jesus. He says that he is going to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God. This one to come is gonna be a mighty God, an eternal father, and then he's gonna be the prince of peace. And this thing that this one to come is gonna lead, and then Isaiah's the government that will be on his shoulders. This, this thing is gonna, it's never gonna stop growing, and it's never gonna run out of this peace. It's what Isaiah said. So in a world that's full of conflict today on every kind of level you can imagine, this is hard to imagine. But what does it mean? And, and this idea of peace, and what the angels announced, and what the prophets prophesied. When we say peace, are we talking about the same kind of peace here? Because our world doesn't seem like it's full of, of peace at all. Does this mean that, that Jesus is gonna bring an end to all of our personal conflicts and we're finally gonna get along with that pesky neighbor whose dogs bark all times of the day? Are we gonna get along with them now? What is this peace? You know, as you read through the Old Testament, um, it becomes pretty clear that there is this growing movement. It starts in Genesis 3. There is this growing attention towards, movement towards this thing that's gonna come, this Savior. In fact, all of the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. All the New Testament is because of what Jesus has done. So you have this movement towards a Savior, and it becomes clear and clear as you read these many prophecies and about these predictions, and as you get to Jesus, it all kind of starts to, to make sense. And there's this understanding that the Lord would eventually come and with him, he would be bringing something. There's a word that is accompanied with peace, or what does it mean? It's this Hebrew word, and we've looked at it many times before here in our church family. The word in Hebrew for peace, many of you know it. If you wanna say it with me, you can. That word is shalom, shalom. It's the most prominent word for peace in the Old Testament. And all this conversation about what the Savior would come and the conversation about the peace of the world that he's gonna bring, it's talking about, that word is shalom. Well, shalom has a lot of different connotations. You can use it. You go to the Holy Land today and you're gonna hear it every day. Shalom, 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 shalom. What does it mean? Well, it means your, your personal wholeness. It means wellness. It, it can relate to your salvation. This idea of shalom could mean peace between you and another individual. It can be peace between two nations. It can, it can mean your peace with God. There's, there's a lot of things. So when it's talking about this one to come, he is going to be the prince of peace. He's going to be the prince of shalom. What does that mean exactly? This, uh, this word that gets translated pre, uh, prince could also be uh, translated as captain, chieftain, Leader, there, there's words. So this concept of this one to come, the one the angels were announcing, the one the prophets were, that he's gonna be the prince of peace. He is going to literally be this prince, this leader, this chief-like character, this captain, if you will, that is leading the charge of Salom, peace. What is that? The prince of peace. You know, it's, it's important to understand 
that the peace that the angels were proclaiming, the peace that the prophets were prophesying, it was not a declaration of world peace. It was not a declaration that all wars and conflicts and personal conflicts are gonna come to an end. That's not the peace that's being talked about here. In fact, the peace, the Prince of Shalom, it's actually a bigger idea. It's a bigger concept than world peace. It's a bigger, it's got more meaning to it than the cease of all fighting. Here's what he's talking about. We're talking about Jesus, our Savior, who is breaking down the barrier between us and God caused by sin. And now we have this relationship with God that is all about peace. This is the peace we're talking about. The Prince of Peace, Jesus leading the charge so that we can have peace with God, specifically breaking down the, the sin bear that has caused hostility that we have with God. That's the peace that we're talking about. That is what's going to be a blessing to all mankind from then till now, and that will last forever. Peace with God. There's a great example of this in Luke chapter seven. In fact, if you wanna open your Bibles to Luke chapter seven, you're more than welcome to turn there. All the verses are gonna be on the screen behind me. There's this incredible moment captured in the New Testament of this kind of peace that the angels announced and how Jesus is going to be the leader into such peace. It, it surrounds this moment when Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee for dinner and this dinner party took an unexpected turn that night. Nobody saw this coming other than Jesus. Luke chapter seven, look at verse 36. It just starts like this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. What is a Pharisee? Who is a Pharisee? Uh, a very simple terms, a Pharisee was a religious leader of the day. They were experts in the law. They understood what we would call the Old Testament better than anybody walking the earth back then. These guys followed Jesus everywhere. They were annoyed by Jesus. They couldn't figure Jesus out. These are the guys that wanted Jesus dead. Okay, they just followed him around, just waiting to catch him to doing something wrong. So there's this Pharisee, and we know from this text later on, his name is Simon. For whatever reason, Simon invites Jesus to have dinner, and Jesus gladly accepts. Verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful Life. No, that's not a good description, is it? There's examples of this kind of language throughout the New Testament. It's never good. And the fact they're saying there was a woman who lived a sinful life, let's just say uh, this is a woman who has a reputation. Should I need to say anything else? She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Why was she let in to this dinner party? Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? But she brought with her an alabaster jar of perfume, probably very expensive perfume. This jar of perfume probably represented all the wealth that she had in the world, most likely. It was her most valuable asset. As she stood behind him, verse 38, behind Jesus, 
at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I don't know what her intentions were when she came into the home that night, but something. Obviously, she wanted to see Jesus. She wanted to be near Jesus. Maybe she had heard some things. Maybe she wanted to see something for herself. She's there. She's sitting by his feet. She was given access to Jesus for who knows why. And, there, and she's listening. Some kind of conversation. Something has deeply impacted her life. And she gets emotional. And she begins to cry. And she, her tears wet Jesus' feet. There's enough tears coming down her cheeks. It's visible on his feet. She sees it. Everybody sees it. And she begins to wipe it off with her hair. And then she pours this perfume on his feet. Almost like, I'm sorry. Do you see the picture? Can you visualize this? Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, invited Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, he didn't say this out loud, he's thinking this. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, let me tell you something about Jesus. He reads minds. He can read your mind, too. And the Bible says God looks at the outside, but God can look right into your heart. You can't hide anything from him. Simon could not hide his thoughts from Jesus that night either. So Jesus answered him, and Simon didn't ask a question, by the way. Simon, I have something to tell you. And Simon goes, oh, tell me, teacher. Do you hear the hypocrisy? He's thinking, oh, this guy's no prophet. This guy's phony. If he was anything like he says, he would know what's going on. And Jesus knows those lists. Hey, I, I want to tell you something. Simon. Oh, tell me, teacher, please. I'm, I'm listening. Hypocrisy on full display. Verse 41. Two people owed money to a certain money, uh, to a certain, certain money lender. Uh, one owed him 500 denarii and the other one 50. So a denarii is considered a day's wage. So somebody owed him the equivalent of the pay for 500 days of work. Pretty big debt. Somebody owes 50 the equivalent of 50 days of labor. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Well, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, which is a, a normal response to that. This guy's been forgiven a lot. This guy's been forgiven a little. I guess the guy that had a huge debt that was unpayable, that's who would love him more. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Now, verse 44 then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He is rebuking Simon because what is customary in that day and age in a very dusty, dirty culture is when you invite somebody over, you give them a little bowl of water so they can rinse off their feet so they don't drag the dirt into the house on the carpet. This was normal. You know what Jesus is saying? You invited me but you didn't welcome me. You invited me, but I'm not really welcome here. I'm a guest, but I'm not really wanted. Otherwise, you would have done this, but look at this woman. She has done what you should have done, but she's done it with her tears. He goes, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. In other words, a standard greeting in this day and age was to greet a guest, greet a friend with, you know, elsewhere in the Bible says a holy kiss. You just, it's a, it's a kiss. And I'm glad we don't do that anymore, just to be honest with you. <laughs> what do we do today? We shake hands. 
We'll give an embrace, a hug, whatever. There is a way that you can warmly express how you feel about somebody. And it's a firm handshake, a hug, it's a welcome. You, you know how to make people feel welcome. And Jesus is saying, you didn't even greet me. You, you didn't, you know, Jesus wasn't saying, you didn't roll out the red carpet for me, but let me just say something. You didn't really welcome me into your home. I'm present, but I'm not welcome. Verse 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. I believe there's something to be, there's more to say, but, but really she gave all she had. She was willing to give to Jesus. And he says, therefore, verse 47, I tell you, her many sins, whatever those may have been, whatever you're referring to, Simon, that she's a sinful woman, whatever that is, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Do you understand the comparison? Jesus saying, Simon, you both are lost. You may be the 50 denarii person and she may be the 500. She's maybe got a lot more sins that need to be forgiven than you. But at the end of the day, you're both lost. And you both need it. She just happens to know it a whole lot better than you. And you are a learned person who knows what God's word says, that knows all about the forgiveness of sins and atonement, but she knows it more than you. She knows what she's been rescued from. And then Jesus says something that makes all their jaws drop. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. This is the kind of language that made people wanna kill Jesus because that's words only reserved for God. Only God can say that your sins are forgiven. Jesus, you can't say that. And everybody's draw hit the ground. And the guests began to say for themselves, verse 49, who is this who even forgives sins? How dare you, basically is what they're saying. And then Jesus said to the woman, here's the whole crux of the whole thing. He says, your faith has saved you. This thing that brought you in here to believe what you believe, your faith has saved you. And then what's he say? Go in peace. In other words, something has changed now in your life. You walked in here without peace and you're walking out of here with a peace that you didn't have. And what was the, the key there is your sins are forgiven and your sins being forgiven now allows you, enables you to go in peace. Friends, this kind of peace that Jesus gave to this woman only comes through Jesus and it only comes with the forgiveness of sins that follows. This is that kind of peace. When the angels announced the Prince of Peace, that's what he's gonna be, he is here. And Isaiah said, he's gonna be the Prince of Peace, peace on earth, all this language. This is the kind of peace that they're talking about. Specifically, we're talking about peace with God. Peace with God. And I would like for you to remember something this Christmas season um, as you guys go about doing all the Christmas stuff that we all do. Remember this, Jesus brought peace, this kind of peace, peace with God as a gift for you. Jesus brought this peace as a gift for you. It's not anything that you can give yourself. It's not anything that you can earn or work for. It's something that Jesus did for you. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is something that Jesus gives. That's what he's communicating to his disciples that night. I'm gonna leave you my peace. Peace with God. 
And this is the kind of peace that only Jesus can bring. This is the peace that Jesus's arrival made possible. This is the kind of peace that people want. It's this understanding that, uh, that I am conflict-free with God, that I am guilt-free with God, that I know that I'm saved today because of Jesus' kind of peace, peace with God. That is much bigger than, than world peace. That is much bigger than conflict with our neighbors. That is much bigger than anything else that we can imagine when the angel said, peace on earth. That's what they're talking about, peace with God. I'm gonna tell you, what God, what Jesus brought is a kind of peace that allows us to walk around this world each and every day knowing that if today is the last day that I have on earth, that if this is it, if my number gets called today, God and I are good. That's the kind of peace that, 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 that Jesus brought. It's this understanding that upon my death, what is waiting for me immediately is, it to, is to be in the presence of my heavenly Father, and I'm one who believes that happens in the blink of an eye, that we take one last breath on this earth, and it's, last off, it's as if our very next breath is now in the presence of God. It says we blink once on this earth, and we open our eyes to the next one. It's living every single day with that kind of peace, that if this is it, God and I are good, because we're at peace with one another. It, what Jesus brought was a peace with God that, that lets us know that everything ultimately is gonna be okay. Everything right now in your life may feel like it's absolutely falling apart, but the kind of peace that Jesus brings is this overarching understanding. It will ultimately be okay. What Jesus brought was this peace that allows you and me to have all the confidence in the world that every day that we wake up, we know that God is in control of everything, that I can trust him, that he has my best interest in mind, even if we can't see it, he sees it, that, that he loves us so much that, that he sent his very own son to die for us. No, 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 our best interests are on his mind all the time or he would have never done that. Just waking up every day with this peace with God, it's an incredible gift that Jesus brought with him, and I would not be a very good pastor today if I didn't lay this question at your feet. Do you have it? Do you have it? Are you today, right now, at peace with God? I can tell you, you can only get this kind of peace through Jesus Christ. There's a lot of voices out there that will tell you you can find peace in all kinds of different places, but I'm telling you right now, if you believe the, the Bible, this kind of peace only comes through Jesus Christ. How do I know that? How, how do I know that? Well, Paul wrote in Romans chapter five, verse one. He's teaching the church about it. And he says, therefore, since we have been justified, don't let that word scare you, Justified, all that means is made right. That's it. Justified means made right or made righteous. So to be made right, it, it implies that at one point in your life, you were wrong, okay? That, that's what it means. You were wrong, but now you are right. 
So you used to be on the wrong side of salvation, but now you've moved to the correct or the the right side of salvation. He says, therefore, since we have been justified, we have been made righteous. We have moved from wrong to right through faith. So he's really, Paul is walking you through the process, the journey of how this happens. Therefore, since we have been justified, been made righteous through faith. Faith at its very foundational core is what you believe. Specifically, what's important is what do you believe about Jesus? Did we believe that Jesus lived, died, and he rose again, and he's coming back one day? It's the foundation of our faith. That's who we are. That's what we believe. We have been made right through faith, believing that Jesus lived, died, rose again. He's coming back to life. I'm forgiven. I can have peace with God. Our faith Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's that plain. It's that straightforward. Do you have peace with God? Have you been made righteous through your faith in the living God that can only be given through Jesus Christ? Are you at peace with God? Paul would later say this in Colossians chapter one, verse 19. He says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. In other words, Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. And God was pleased that the full deity of himself was wrapped up in Jesus. God in the flesh. Jesus is God in human form. There's an acknowledgement. God was pleased to have the fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him to reconcile. That word reconcile means to bring back together. It means to mend something that was broken. Something that wasn't right but now is right. Reconcile. Okay, God is mending the damage done. Bringing it, healing it. Bring it back together. So God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile himself to, to, to himself, to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his what? Blood shed on the cross. So friends, when we say things like Jesus is the only way, there's only one way to the Father, there's only one way to have peace with him, we only say those things because that's what's clearly taught in the Bible. Only through Jesus, his shed blood on the cross, can we ever be reconciled, be made righteous, and and become peaceful with God. It took Jesus to do it. That's why all these other world religions are just off base, because they don't put Jesus at the center of all that is happening. So the Bible has plenty to say about it, but what is very clear, just from the two uh, passages we just read, is that peace with God is the birthright of every single believer. It becomes our right now to have peace with God. If you are a child of God today through faith in Jesus Christ, then you are at peace with God. And it comes with this concept of being born again, this conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus in in John chapter three. You gotta be born again. This peace also comes with a family, a church family, part of God's family that you'll be with together for all eternity. It's a peace that begins with God here on earth and is fully realized and enjoyed in heaven one day. And this peace is maintained here through a very close personal relationship with your heavenly Father.
So let me just say this, stated or unstated, peace with God is what people truly want this year. They, they may not realize it, but that's what they really want. They want peace um, that will lead to a peace with their families. They want peace in their finances. They want peace in their job. They want peace about their past mistakes, their past service. They want peace about where they live today and where they're going. And I'm telling you, that kind of peace only comes when we first have peace with God. And I will tell you, our world looks for peace in all the wrong places. And many of us in this room today have also looked for some kind of peace in our lives um, in, in wrong places. There, a typical place to look for this peace is we try to find this peace in other people. We try to look at like somebody else in this world is gonna establish the kind of peace that I need. And so there's a pattern that develops with a lot of people. We bounce from one relationship to the next because we believe the next one is gonna put peace in my heart about whatever. And sometimes we have to learn the hard way that that's not how we find peace in this world. Sometimes we, we dump all of our hopes and aspirations into our children because we think our children can bring this peace. Our children cannot bring this peace. We try to develop all kinds of friends. Our friends will bring peace into our lives. No, friends don't bring peace in their life. They can bring some joy, but not the kind of peace that people are really looking for. Other times people look for peace, and we've all been there. We look for peace in all kinds of possessions. And, and it's so easy, especially during Christmas, to buy into this myth that um, I will be happier and more peaceful with the more stuff that I can surround myself with. And that's just not uh, at all reality. So we surround ourselves with things and toys and stuff money can buy. And really, we're looking for a, a kind of peace that just can't be found in any of those things. I'll tell you, when we search for peace in all of these wrong kind of places, like find it in relationships and people and money and toys and all kinds of stuff, there can be some real significant uh, consequences of that kind of journey. Um, that kind of journey leads to all kinds of bondage. It can lead to all kinds of greed. It most definitely over time can lead to all kinds of personal destruction. But let me tell you, peace with God, that is the one that you want, to be made right through faith, through Jesus. Every peace you're looking for on this planet begins there. And when you're at peace with God, I'm not saying you're gonna get along better with your neighbor whose dogs bark all night long. But I tell you, there's a peace that comes over your life that ultimately will help you with that and helps you ultimately know that it's gonna be okay. And in more seriousness than that, peace with God and the confidence that comes with it. When you open presents this Christmas, when you sing songs, when you're with your family, when you're eating food, when you're doing all the stuff that we do this year, we really don't need to look any further this year than what the angels announced, peace on earth, to really know why we do any of these things. So let it be a reminder this year, friends, the peace with God is a gift for you. And it comes through Jesus Christ and him alone. And the question today for you to consider is, am I at peace with God? Only you can answer that, but that's the peace you really want, I promise. Dear Lord, we give you great praise today. I thank you as always for your word that teaches us so clearly. Lord, there's not a one of us that's any different than the woman 
in Luke 7. Lord, I know in this room, we have some 50 denarii debt holders. We have some 500 denarii debt holders. We have some 5 million denarii debt holders. But Lord, it doesn't matter the number of sins. Just one is all it takes. We all need you, Lord. And that's why you came. You came and you died on that cross so that we could be reconciled back to our creator. You shed your blood on the cross to resolve the sin problem in this world. Lord, you have now gone before us because you are the prince of peace, the captain, the leader, leading the charge of what peace on earth really looks like. Lord, you have opened every door that we need open to be reconciled to you. Lord, you have lit the path and you've gone before us and made it straight in front of us of what it looks like to walk with our maker all the way to heaven. So Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you have our best interests in mind when you do what you do and that we can have peace with you on every level. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room, anybody watching online today that right now is not at peace with you. I pray, Lord, today would be a turning point. Lord, today would be a day of real humility, a day of repentance, a day of recognition that we've let too many things get in the way. We've been too distracted, too bogged down to really see what is real and what needs to be. And that is that you loved us. You sent your son to die for us. And now we must be challenged with the right to know what is it that we actually believe. Lord, we believe that you lived, died, and rose again, and you're coming back to rescue your people. And so, Lord, we give you all praise and glory today, and I pray there's not a one of us that doesn't know that, and not a one of us that walks out of here not at peace with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.